turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 11 to 15. Just as a bit of an introduction really, this is uh, part two of our series looking at the life of Moses. Uh, Nigel um, told myself and David that we'd be looking at the life of Moses. And I I wondered really um, how on earth we would be able to spend um, three months looking at the life of a hamster. Because uh, some of you may recall that uh, Fleur and I had this wonderful little chap called Moses. By the way, this isn't life-size by any means. He was a little bit smaller than this. Oh, thank you. Um, He was a little bit smaller than this, fortunately. Um, But before we moved up here, he feigned death quite a few times. Um, it was in the coming weeks to, to moving here, and we'd come down in the morning, and we'd find him uh, kind of lying precariously across things, and we'd think, is this it? Is, will he not reach the promised land? But fortunately, he did reach the promised land, but unfortunately, he did have an expiry date. Um, <laughs> however, when Nigel was preaching last Sunday, I realized that actually it's Moses in the Bible that we're looking at, which is quite helpful to know what you're preaching about. Um, and it reminded me of a, a famous song. Some of you might know a little musical called Singing in the Rain. Uh, there's a song in it. I'm not going to sing it, otherwise people would be running out. Uh, the words are, Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. And Moses, he knows his toes aren't roses, as Moses supposes his toes to be. Moses supposes his toes are roses, but Moses supposes erroneously. A rose is a rose, a nose is a nose, a toes is a toes. Thank you. Um, Shall we move on? Shall we get to the point of what this is all about? Otherwise, I will digress far too much. So let's have a look at some scripture, because that should get us back on track. So, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered him, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. And he sat down by a well. Just to give us a bit of a background, really, as to uh, the passage that we're looking at today. Um, I'm not so used to just having four or five verses. As most of you know, I've, uh, I've taken whole books instead. Uh, So this could be finished in two minutes, perhaps. Um, It's great applause there. Um, (laughs) What we'll be looking at is just a little bit of the history, really. As you may have gathered from the title that I was looking at, uh, the main theme that we'll be looking at is uh, how and why did things go wrong for Moses. Before we do that, I just want to put this into a little bit of context. Uh, Last week, Nigel uh, kicked us off by looking at the events surrounding the birth of Moses. And he was looking at the theme of individuals in the hand of God. At the end of Nigel's section, the Moses that we saw was a grown-up child, so possibly about the same age as James and Andrew. Um, And then we see at the start of our passage today that he's grown up again. He's now an adult. Um, 
Stephen in his speech in Acts 7 says that Moses was uh, 40 years old at the point of our passage. So there's a a huge um, gap of years here. And we often find these time gaps in in the scriptures. Uh, One of the most noticeable ones is with Jesus. Uh, We see him as a baby, then we see him as a boy, and then we see him as an adult. Um, If you're anything like me, you wonder what happened in the hidden years. Perhaps I'm just too curious about things. Flew will probably say that I am, because it gets me into mischief at times. Um, But we do wonder what happened during those hidden years. Um, Actually, we find that, you know, if your mind races a bit like me, you think, well, he was living in a palace. What might he have been doing? Perhaps he was sitting in the home cinema room, uh, like Phil's got, and just watching his DVDs with his friends, eating a large box of popcorn, um, just enjoying the latest DVDs that have come out in Egyptian Egyptian times. Perhaps uh, there might have been another thing. Perhaps he might have been just enjoying the luxury pool for all of that time. Or perhaps he was just having huge barbecues in the, in the grains. I quite like a combination of all of those, and certainly if I lived in a palace, that's what I'd be doing. Um, fortunately, Stephen puts us back on track. Um, he gives us a clue of what Moses had been up to in those hidden years. We see in Acts 7 verse 22 um, that Stephen says, Moses was instructed in all of the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and his deeds. We see parallels of this in Daniel chapter 1, verse 3 to 5. Uh, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his, king, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate, and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Later in verse 17, we're told that these young men were given learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. It seems that for both Moses and Daniel, that they were given hidden years where they were given great education in the land that they were living in. We shouldn't dismiss these hidden years of our lives. God teaches us a lot when we're hidden. Often these hidden years shape who we'll become. This teaching that we see that both Moses and Daniel had um, helped them to understand the people they were among. And it gave them an affinity with them. Uh, They would have been able to speak the same language. They would have known the history of the people. They would have known Egypt's hopes as a nation. They would have known their dreams and their aspirations. And they would have known how they think. Um, this teaching great, gave them great preparation for the goals, sorry, for the uh, plans that God had for their lives. We see that both of them may have thought that they were being shaped by earthly rulers uh, to represent them, but actually God turned that around and he used them to stand in the courts of that ruler and act on his behalf to those people. Sometimes we we think that there's wasted years of our lives. We think, you know, what's going on during these hidden times? Well, actually, there's no wasted years in God's plan. We need to make the most of each of those opportunities that we come across, though. Moses and Daniel were given unique insights into the nation that Israel was imprisoned into, and uh, they knew the culture. We need to understand the culture around us as well. I'm not saying that we should become people who uh, go off on a Friday night and binge drink 
um, or take drugs and all of those sort of things. Um, what I am saying is that we do need to understand the culture that's around us. Um, it's a quote that I've used before, but Nelson Mandela said that if you talk to a man in a language that he understands, that goes to his head. But if you talk to him in his language, that goes to his heart. And there must have been some of this with both uh, Moses and Daniel as well. Um, you know, they, they knew the culture, they knew who they were speaking to, and it gave them a platform to be able to speak uh, wisely to them. And perhaps we need to do this as well. Uh, we don't need to change the message that we preach, but sometimes we just need to change how it's wrapped and presented to people. So I want us to, to just move on. Um, what we'll be doing is looking at what happened and then what went wrong and what we can learn from it, because hopefully we can learn something from it. So firstly then, what happened? Moses, as we said before, was about 40 at this time, and he went out to his people. He had seen one of his people being mistreated, so he'd gone out, there was an injustice taking place, and he acted on that uh, Israelite's behalf by striking the Egyptian and killing him. So he must have been quite strong, really. Um, however, the next day when Moses um, tried to intervene in a disagreement between two Israelites, it was apparent that although he'd hidden the body, he was found out and he was confronted. So how did he respond to this? He decided to flee. Uh, so I want to just have a look at these points that we've got here. First, Moses knew who his people were, and he also knew who he was. Um, although he'd been brought up learning about the Egyptians and all of their ways, he had been adopted into Pharaoh's household. He knew who his people were. Someone must have taught him who he was, because he, he wouldn't have just clicked this. Uh, so I'm just speculating, but perhaps uh, you know, it might have been his mother told him when he was growing up. It might have been that uh, Pharaoh's daughter had told him. Uh, it might have been that it was a revelation from God. We don't know, but all we know is that he did understand that the Israelites were his people. Um, we find also that uh, although he was living amongst you know, these great people in the palace, uh, he wanted to go out to them, he wanted to spend time with them. I guess it's a little bit like me when I lived in Coventry when I was doing my degree. Um, although I was in a scary foreign nation of England, um, and in a very scary church because David's son was leading that church, um, we find that, you know, as I was there, I was being educated in the ways, but actually, uh, my heart longed to be back in Wales. Um, I knew that actually this was the nation that um, I wanted to be in. Um, you know, being brought up in Wales, I wanted to be back here. Um, and this did lead to much ridiculing, by the way, by all of my course mates, uh, particularly when I married an English lady. They thought that I'd been conquered. Um, <laughs> so, we'll find out. Uh, Moses, again, you know, similar to myself, he felt a connection with the Israelites. And I'm guessing this wasn't the first time that he'd gone out to his people. Uh, however, today's events would lead to a change in scenery for him as time went on. He knew who he, who he was. Um, it could have been so easy for him to have just enjoyed the high life uh, of, of living in a palace. But actually, it seems that he'd spent a lot of time going out and looking at his people. So he never forgot who he was. As we saw earlier, he was educated in their ways and educated by them. 
Um, however, I'd suggest that his identity was with his origins and his people. Sometimes we struggle with this. We struggle to know who we are and what our identity is. Who we are shapes what we do. If I give you an example, um, if I was a talented footballer, so I'm not saying that I am, uh, those of you who see me play football know that I'm not, um, but if I was, I would, uh, I would probably not spend my time kicking a football range with my mates. Um, I would probably want to go and spend time you know, training myself and, and going off and you know, perhaps getting some trials for Manchester United. And then who knows, I could be bought for £80 million by Real Madrid. By the way, this is just a thought. It's not actually what's going to happen. Um, but actually, if I don't know who I am, then I'm just going to kick around the football with my mates or in the back garden. Uh, if we know who we are, then we'll do something about it. We'll spend time in the places that we should be spending time. I know that if, if I spend time uh, in God's presence, then actually it gives me an idea of who I am and who I'm supposed to be. It gets things back into perspective. I realise that I've got this awesome God as we were uh, worshipping this morning. You know, we've got this awesome God who flung stars into space, yet speaking loving words to us. It suddenly gets us back into perspective, doesn't it? and gives us confidence. So secondly, we find that uh, Moses had felt his people's burdens. We see that he had compassion on his people. Someone else who had compassion on his people was Jesus. Uh, Just a couple of examples of this. Um, Matthew 15, verse 32. You don't have to turn to it. Then Moses called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. And I am unwilling to send them away hungry, lest they faint on the way. Matthew 20, verses 33 to 34. They said to him, Lord, let our eyes be opened. And Jesus, in pity, touched their eyes, and immediately they recovered their sight and followed him. See, Jesus had compassion on the people that he was encountering. And Moses had compassion on the people that he saw as well. Um, he would have been surrounded by looking at all of these Israelites. Uh, we heard last week that actually there was a lot of Israelites. They seemed to multiply, uh, a bit like rats, but a little bit bigger. Um, but actually, we find that he couldn't have ignored them, and he went and he spent time with them. He saw uh, the, the desperate situation that they were in. They were being oppressed. We find that uh, he would have seen that the Egyptians were putting huge demands on them and giving them a lack of means to actually achieve this. We see that uh, the Egyptians were treating the Israelites as second-class citizens. We see that they were beaten if they didn't reach the quota or fell short of what Egyptians thought they should do. And he would have seen how um, his own generation were lacking a lot of men because they'd been thrown into the Nile. All of that must have made him feel something for them realizing that his people were in this situation. He realized the anguish of the Israelites and how they longed to be set free by a savior. So often we find that uh, the situations that go on around us um, are completely lost. We, we don't take notice of them, really. Sometimes we walk down the street and we don't notice um, the situations that are taking place. We don't notice uh, the homeless person who's going to spend that night on the street. We don't notice the person who's lonely. We don't notice the person who needs healing. We just walk by doing our shopping. Um, The same way we watch TV and we see the news 
and we think that it's just another fiction program. We don't realise that this is real situations that are going on. Sometimes we need to feel that burden. I'm not saying that we need to be overwhelmed by it, but sometimes we just need to feel that. We need to see what's going on. When Terry Hotchkiss was preaching a few weeks ago, he reminded us about the Great Commission, and he encouraged us to go to our neighbours, our friends, our families and our colleagues. We need to get alongside these people and we need to understand their burdens. Again, it helps us to, to know what's going on in their lives. If we're just to go there and say, God's the answer, we need to know what he's the answer to first. Um, as a church, we're following a prophetic word about serving a local area, Brintag. And again, there's people there who have got burdens and we need to get alongside them and help them. So what I want us to do now is just to look and see what went wrong. Because it seems like Moses had got it okay until this point. He'd felt some burdens, he'd been with his people, he knew who he was. But the title of the sermon is What Went Wrong? So let's have a look. The first thing I think he did wrong was that he acted on impulse and emotion. As we were looking at earlier, he had felt his people's burdens and he had compassion on them. But this appears to have consumed him and it took it out in a fit of rage. You know, many of us might, might see a situation and we want to respond to it, but actually uh, we just need to stop and take our time over it. Moses had got caught up in the small situation that he was facing rather than look at the big picture of what was going on. There were situations taking, taking place all over um, Egypt like this every single day. Did Moses kind of have a master plan? Did he think, I'm going to kill an Egyptian one by one until I've killed the whole of the race? Probably not. I don't think he'd been that clever in that situation. I think he just got caught up by what was going on and just took out the first person that he saw. Um, he got caught up in that situation rather than look at what he could have done. Moses had, in, had been instructed in all wisdom of the Egyptian and he was known as being mighty in his deeds and in his words. Surely there was a wiser way of dealing with this. Uh, we see that he could have possibly gone uh, to mo- sorry could have possibly gone into um, you know the courts and spoken to Pharaoh and said, you know, this needs to stop. He could have lobbied in front of him, perhaps used his position of influence, or perhaps he could have spoken to the Egyptian and ordered him to stop. But instead, he just acted on what he saw. Uh, I find that um, I've got a bit of an affinity with uh, people who make mistakes because I seem to make mistakes as well. Um, There was one day, um, probably I think it was when I was about 22, something like that, and I was showing off my youth um, by running along and jumping up big steps and showing off my, my youth and the fact that I could run. Um, and as I did this, um, someone turned to me, an older man, and said that youth was wasted on the young. Um, I, however, very flippantly and arrogantly turned to them and said, well, wisdom is wasted on the old. And um, it was very arrogant of me to do that, and I know that now. Um, and what this kind of illustrates, actually, is that we need each other. Um, I've learnt over time that I really do need people around me to speak wisdom into my life because I can just run away. Fleur knows uh, that I can get an idea in my head and just run full steam with it. And I need people just to ground me and just to say, 
come on, this is a better route. Um, and we need to just talk to each other. We need to seek wisdom from those people around us. Secondly, um, I think that we find that he took the wrong path. Um, it was great when Jenny shared that prophecy earlier, um, talking about you know, the wrong path and talking about the wrong way, um, because this is what we'll be looking at now. Uh, we find that I think Moses had one of those moments where he saw a little bit of what his destiny might be, that he would have something to do with the Israelites and leading them out from their situation. Um, but he took the wrong path. He did what he saw good. Why do I think this? Um, Acts 7 verse 25 says that Moses supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. So that's Stephen's summary of the situation that took place. During those hidden years that Moses had, there must have been times when he considered why um, he was alive. He'd known the stories of how uh, you know, most of his generation had been killed when they went into the Nile. However, here he was, uh, saved and put into a royal palace. He must have looked around and thought, what am I doing here? But I think he just got overwhelmed to that, really. By the way, I found that preparing this, isn't that a wonderful picture of our salvation, actually? That if you look at Moses being put um, into the Nile, he was in a place of uncertainty and loneliness, and there was an order of death upon his life. But actually, he was then adopted into a royal family and took residence in a palace. So I found a wonderful picture of our salvation. Just looking at Moses' situation then, he, was, he would perhaps be sitting in the courtyard looking at the Israelites around him and thinking, why have I been saved? Why am I in this situation? Why have I been this privileged? Perhaps he daydreamed about one day rising up this wonderful army um, to do battle with the Egyptians and slay them and go forward into their own nation. Perhaps he daydreamed about lobbying in the courts of Pharaoh on behalf of his nation, being a great governor for them. Perhaps he even daydreamed about um, you know, something along the lines of the great escape, but on a far larger scale of moving the Israelites out overnight um, and taking them to, to safety. There's another daydreamer who spent time in Egypt as well, and his name was Joseph. God had spoken to him through dreams, showing him that his family would bow before him. This in itself was good, because God was giving him a vision of who he'd be. However, he informed his brothers prematurely. And as a result, he was thrown into a pit and sold into slavery by them. Fleur will testify that I'm a dreamer as well. Um, I spend a lot of time daydreaming. Uh, Quite often we'll be sitting in front of the TV, and I'll have this blank expression... Honest, it does look slightly different than this expression. Um, but she'll just notice that I'm, I'm not taking an interest in what's going on. And I'm away in a distant land. Usually, the daydream that goes on um, is something along the lines of me playing for Cardiff City. Hence the bluebirds. Um, me playing for them. And we're in the FA Cup final. And I score a hat-trick uh, for us to beat Liverpool and end up FA Cup champions. Um, James isn't here this morning, otherwise I think he'd have a bit of opposition to that. And James would also 
um, adds a little bit of truth to the matter, that actually there's no way that I'd be able to do that. Um, I had many chances on Friday night playing football, and I missed them all. Um, so there's no way that I'd be able to do this. Uh, by the way, uh, just to help you with this story as well, um, I don't believe that this is a God-given thing. I don't believe that God has called me to help Cardiff win the FA Cup. I would love that prophecy if you want to prophesy over me later, but actually, uh, sorry, you don't believe it. Shame. However, um, if, if I did believe that, and I went out, and this next Friday when I'm playing football up in Brinshaig with people, um, I declared before we started... I'm going to win the FA Cup with Cardiff City. I'm going to score a hat-trick in the final. Um, I think, firstly, I'd get sectioned, and secondly, that I'd end up with people ostracising me, perhaps, and thinking, who is this guy who uh, he doesn't even play football that well, thinking that he's going to uh, help Cardiff to such greats? However, God may have given you real dreams. God may have given you visions about your future. He may have told you what he's called you to be. And as we saw a few weeks ago with Nigel, he was talking about how we weigh those, those dreams and visions. Um, he was saying about you know, going and uh, sharing these with, with wise people and taking it back to the Word of God, checking it with that, just to make sure that these are, are right. And then to move on and to actually put these into practice. And again, this is where it comes back to Jenny's word. We need to take each step at a time. We need to just... Uh, make sure that we're, we're grounded with that because otherwise we end up running our own path. We end up running our own way. Uh, just to illustrate that, um, I can really sympathize with Moses uh, and Joseph here. Um, I seem to be very much like these guys. Uh, a couple of months ago, Fleur and I went to Lake Fernway uh, before it was made famous by Spring Watch. Uh, we were there and we decided that we would take our bikes and go for a lovely bike ride around the whole of the lake. Um, we were ambitious. However, uh, it was a, a stunning day, and Fleur uh, said to me, don't worry, I, I know that there's a car park around here that we can put the car, we can take our bikes, and we don't have to worry about the car then. So I, I thought, yeah, okay, we'll do that. Uh, anyway, a couple of minutes after Fleur had told me that, uh, we were driving along, and I saw a signpost off to the left-hand side saying car park. So I quickly turned off the road um, and got a sudden stare from Fleur, um, saying, well, why have you done this? And I said, it's okay. I've seen a sign for a car park. Um, just sit back there and relax. This will probably be better than one, the one that you've got planned. Um, don't worry. Um, look how quiet it is. Surely it's going to be a nice car park. Perhaps we'll even do complimentary coffee. Don't worry, we'll go there. Um, and as I was uh, saying that, I just looked back to the road, which is a good thing to do, to look at the road while you're driving, by the way. Um, and as I was looking, I noticed that the road that I was driving up was actually a single uh, track, dirt track, basically. You know, uh, those of you who watch Top Gear, when they do off-roading uh, tests, it was a little bit like that. So um, going up it, and it was muddy, um, there was a sheer drop to our right-hand side, and I looked and thought, we might end up down there. <laughs> Perhaps this would be a good time to turn around. Looked in my rear mirror and saw that a car was following us probably with, uh, with a guy with a big male ego like I had had, um, thinking he knows where he's going, I'll follow him rather than my wife. Um, so I drove up this track thinking, how is this going to end? You know, am I going to get stuck on this sharp incline? Am I going to end up with the wheels spinning? Am I going to end up falling to, to my death? What's going to happen? But I didn't tell Flirt any of this, I just 
stayed looking confident. Anyway, when, uh, when we reached the top, um, we found no car park. Um, all we found was a beautiful viewing point. At that point, I could have just been very dishonest and said, look at this viewing point that I've brought you to. But I didn't. Um, I pulled over and let the car go past me, turned around and went back down the hill. Uh, this time with a little bit more confidence, as I thought, I can blame this on the sign that I've seen. So as we came down the hill, um, we got to the bottom of the hill and I thought, blame it on the sign and it's okay, you can get away with this life-endangering uh, diversion you've made. So uh, as we reached it, I looked up and I pointed to the sign with great confidence to show Fleur the sign that said car parking this way, only to find that the sign actually said no parking. <laughs> I felt about this big. Um, however, as terrible as that might sound, we actually find that this is somewhat what happens in our lives, particularly us guys. Uh, we're given instructions, and uh, you, know, you might find it with your DIY things. You get the little instruction manual, and you think, I'm going to build this myself instead. I'm not going to take any notice of that. Um, or your wife might give you directions in the car, and you think, no way. Um, but actually, we end up getting ourselves into a mess when we don't listen to directions. Again, like Jenny was saying earlier, we need to listen to the directions. Um, the promises that God gives us helps us to keep pressing on. Um, we find that actually sometimes we get caught away and we think God's given us this promise, so I'm going to go flat out and I'm going to work my own way there. But actually, that promise was given to us just to keep us on the path. Uh, Fleur and I had an example of this when we moved here. God had been very clear with us and had said about us moving to Wrexham. Uh, to be involved in church planting here. Um, but when we moved here, actually after the honeymoon had ended, we started to feel some of the painful things. Uh, Fleur didn't get a job as an occupational therapist. Um, we looked around and actually we started to miss our, our good friends that we had in Coventry. And we looked around and we realised that it was just a few of us who were here. Um, and suddenly the, the reality hit us. And if we didn't have a promise from God, we probably would have turned around and walked back. But actually, it was the certainty of the promise that God had given us, which kept us, kept us pressing forward. And now, Flew was given a new career. Uh, we find that actually we've got some friends here in Wrexham, and the church is growing. See, if there's promises from God, they're there to help us just to keep our, our eyes on him. Not so that we can make our own plans, but so that we can follow him instead. I think that uh, what happened with Moses was just that he jumped a little bit too fast, too soon, really. Um, we find that God says that uh, his path is narrow and straight. And we're also told that the Psalms say that um, you know, God's word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. We need to seek him and ask him to be our guide. We need to ask him to light the path in front of us. Because sometimes it can be difficult as we look along and we see these paths. We think, which one do we follow? But we just need to ask God to guide us, because he will. See, the promises God has put in front of you um, may be a while off. You might not see the fulfillment of them for a few years. Um, but don't get fed up waiting. Just keep pushing into God. Um, if you imagine a, a large river, 
you look at it and you think, how on earth am I going to get across it? If any of you have been to the Peak District, uh, you'll know that in Dovedale there's a, a river with some stepping stones. Um, and actually we just need to take those stepping stones at times. Sometimes we think that we'll get across the river by jumping in, um, but we're taken away by the current. We need to do like Jenny said this morning. We need to take those little steps that God's calling us to do. Don't run away with it. Just take one step at a time. Ask God for the next step and then move forward. So next, we find that Moses had done a wrongdoing. Uh, He'd killed the Egyptian. But more importantly than this, he'd actually hidden it. Um, Now, I think he was pretty stupid with what he did, to be honest, in terms of hiding. Um, But I can say that because I've got hindsight, and there's a few years that have passed since this. Um, We find that um, he'd stepped into that situation, and I'm not too good at maths, but I think there were three people. There was him, there was the Israelites, and there was the Egyptian. If he kills the Egyptian, that leaves two of them. So did he not think that the Israelite might have gone and gossiped to his friends in the workplace the next day? You can imagine the the headlines of the newspaper, can't you? Um, Exclusive. You know, Pharaoh's household man Moses uh, slays the Egyptian. You could could imagine it nowadays, really, couldn't you? Um, Also, if this isn't how the story was leaked, uh, it could have been that he didn't pick the best of places for the body to be hidden. He hid the body in sand. Now, if I asked you, I hope that none of you have to do this, but if I asked you where you would hide the body that, uh, that you've murdered, you probably wouldn't have chosen to hide it in some sand. A, I think that there probably would have been some pretty good sandstorms that went on. So you would find that the sand would have come up and the body might have been revealed. And secondly, the Israelites probably were using the sand as some of their building material. So it could have been uncovered that way. So it's a pretty daft way to hide it. Um, but what we find is that actually, you know, he, he chose to, to hide it away rather than actually deal with what was going on. I find this passage really interesting in the context of what Nigel was sharing last week. Because Nigel, um, in verse 2 of his sermon, he said that um, his parents had hidden Moses for three months. And he was hidden for good reasons. However, we now find that Moses is hiding someone else for the wrong reason. Uh, we see that at the start of verse 12, he knew that what he was doing was wrong because he looked this way and that before he did it. If you know what you're doing is wrong, then you tend to do it in secret. Moses knew that he was in error but proceeded and then hid the evidence. Um, and he carried on like nothing had happened. And actually, this seems to have stuck with him because we find that in Exodus uh, sorry, not an Exodus, in Numbers 32, verse 23, he actually tells the Israelites uh, to be sure that your sin will find you out. So he was saying this from his own experience of what had taken place. Moses had thought that he could hide the situation and no one would know about it. However, even if no one else had been there, God was there at that time. And he needed to be honest about what was going on. It's uh, quite similar to the current situation that we find with the MPs. The MPs had this, um, the scandal with the expenses and they lost credibility because they hid it. 
I don't think many of us would have had the huge reaction that has gone on um, if actually they'd been public about it and said, okay, we've, we've realised that what we're doing is wrong and we're going to deal with it. Actually, it took someone to leak it before they were honest about it. It's the same with Moses. He'd hid what he was doing rather than owning up. He didn't stop when he realised the error of his way and say, look, I'm sorry, I did this because I was carried away with the burden of my people. Um, we have a forgiving God who's gone to extraordinary lengths to forgive us for our sins. And we need to just come back to him uh, rather than run away from him. We need to just come to him. We, uh, we also might find that we hide ourselves because we are scared of being used by God. So we might not be in sin in this way, but actually we might just find that, that we're scared of perhaps going and doing the things that God has called us to do. And again, God isn't going to leave you. God wants to use you. So we shouldn't hide ourselves because we can't hide ourselves from God. So confronted with his error, we find that Moses fled rather than, rather than own up to what was going on. He fled to a place that no one knew who he was. He was back where his life began. We see at the start of Exodus uh, chapter 2 that he was put um, into water. He was put into the Nile. And then at the end of um, this passage that we've gone through, he's sitting by a well. So he's back where he started. He's back by the water. It didn't have to be this way. See, he shouldn't have run away from what had gone on. And neither should we run away. Sorry. I don't know what's going on there. Can I throw you on my mobile phone? I thought I turned it off earlier. Sorry about that. And funnily enough, that's the great escape. That was perfect timing, wasn't it? Thanks, Lee. Brilliant. So we shouldn't run away. But what we find is that actually with Moses, he had run away. And sooner or later, um, we're going to be confronted with that situation. So he describes it as a thing, which I think is quite, quite a good way to describe it. He says that uh, the thing I have done became new, became known, sorry, and he fled. See, for all of us, there's a thing. See, my, my thing is different to your thing. We all have things that are going on in our lives. And rather than run away from them, we need to deal with it instead. Because the longer that we run away the harder it is to come back. See, now this could be, could be a sin or it could actually just be that we just want to hide ourselves away from God because we're scared of going and stepping out. We need to just come back to him. David cries out in Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. There is nowhere that we can hide from God. Even if we try our hardest, we can't hide from him. He wants us to come back to him. He's waiting with wide open arms. As we were um, worshipping this morning, we heard that, didn't we? That we have a God who, um, those arms that flung stars into space, are wide open waiting for us to run into his embrace. We need to be a people who repent quickly. We need to come back into those arms. I'm not saying we should be flippant and, you know, we do something wrong and we run back quickly. But what we should be doing is that we should turn back from our ways quickly 
and come to those arms. So God just wants to come to us, um, and it's often us who who tries to separate ourselves from him because we think that he doesn't want uh, to forgive us. He went to extraordinary lengths to forgive us for our sins, and we need to come to him. If we keep walking our own path, we'll get ourselves into more and more of a mess. We just need to turn around and run back to Jesus. And what we find with this as well is that actually there's no waste of time. So even if we take those wrong paths and then we come back to God, those years that we might have run off, those times that we might have gone off our own way, God can still use those times. Flo called me in last night uh, to watch part of a film that she was having a look at. Um, There was a father that was asking his wife to love his child, no matter how hard it would be. And she turned to him and said, why should I do that if he's going to give nothing back? And the father turned back to her and said, nothing is a waste of time if it adds to the person that you are. And that's true with us, that actually, although we might take the wrong path at times, and we, as we come back to God, those years aren't wasted. They can still be used um, to make us who we become. We see that with Moses and Joseph. They still become mighty people. They still are used to, um, to save people. They're still used in a mighty way amongst their people. They'd made big mistakes, but actually they came back and God used them. And God can do that with us as well. We find that actually God will achieve his purposes. We just need to come back to him and he'll use you. So what can we learn then? I just want to summarise. Um, first thing is to act wisely. Let's not be people who just act on our impulses and emotions. The emotion is telling you something about a situation, but ask for wisdom about what to do. Secondly, take a step at a time. I've done this before, Jenny, I've brought this. Um, we need to just take our time and obviously this is something that important that God wants to teach us we need to take a step at a time and not write our own map don't go and do what I did don't go off on your own path because it leads to uh, to possible death actually but come back just go God's way instead take a step at a time be honest don't hide yourself away Don't hide what's going on in your life, but be open with God and be open with people around you as well. God wants to use you, so don't hide yourself away. Be quick to repent. If we find ourselves off on the wrong path, all we need to do is turn around and run back into those loving arms. The further we go down the path, the further we go away from God and the harder it's back. So be quick to turn back. So we find with Moses that actually uh, he's, he's come to known as someone who represents the law. And although the law wasn't written at this time, he would one day say, do not murder as a law. And here he is. He's a guy who has committed murder. See, God can still use us no matter what we've done and no matter where we go. God can still use us. What I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for some people. Um, Could I have Phil and Anne back up? Could we sing, Lord, I come to you, please?
people, the people I like to pray for in particular are the people that we see here, really. So the people who might have felt that they've gone off route, that they've written their own map, and have got into uh, some sort of mess, and they just want to come back to God. I want to pray for those people. I also want to pray for the people who just feel so distant from God and just want to come back to him. I want to pray for people who, who have hidden themselves away from him, um, but actually now want to say, yeah, I want to be used by you, I want to come back to you. And then for those people who have written themselves off from being used by God because of their past, God can use you and God wants to use you. As David was saying this morning, God has got wide open arms. He's the same God here who was down in Brighton this week. Um, and God wants to meet with us this morning. So if you want us to pray for you, I'd like you to come forward during this song. Um, also, I want to pick up what David said as well. So if you just want to come forward for us to pray for you to be filled with the Spirit or something else, please do come forward as well. So we're just going to sing this song and then I'll invite people forward.